I got a text on Friday from a Talmud, a DRS alumnus who uh, lives, happens to live in North Woodmere, and he said, as, as often uh, happens, that he's not asking for himself, but he's asking for a friend, that the, the following scenario presented itself. His friend is taking the LSAT uh, sometime soon, and he wanted to know if it's permissible, halakhti permissible, to take Adderall uh, in order to allow him to do well on the LSAT. Now, does his friend have um, ADHD? No. Was the Adderall prescribed to him? No. But he wants to take Adderall because it, it like Ritalin and all these ADHD drugs, it increases your focus and uh, will allow a person to feel somewhat energized intellectually to do well on the test. And he wanted to know if that is halachically permissible. So whenever we deal with halachic shayla, we always have to first identify what the potential issues are, sort of dissect it. If there are two issues, three issues, four issues, and then go one by one and see, is there any halachic violation in any of those issues? But before we even get to that, I, I, I found it interesting. I went online to see if this is like a common thing that people who do not have ADHD take Adderall whenever they feel like they have a big test or whenever they want to do something that requires focus. And the answer is... Yeah, they absolutely, do. they do. Yeah, they, 100%. Yeah. In fact, there are, there, there are countless stories online. I just took the first one from CNN.com. Prescription ADHD medications like Adderall, Ritalin, Vivance uh, uh, are becoming increasingly popular for overworked and overscheduled college students who have not been diagnosed with ADHD. Our biggest concern is the increase we've observed in this behavior over the past decade, says Sean McCabe, research associate professor at the University of Michigan Substance Abuse Research Center. Full-time college students were twice as likely to have used Adderall non-medically as their counterparts who were not full-time students. And they say the numbers vary uh, by school. The greatest proportion of users at private and are, are a private and elite universities, they suggest that as many as 30 or 40 or 50 percent of students at places like Harvard take Adderall, um, obviously not prescribed. Most Harvard students apparently are not diagnosed ADHD, and nevertheless they take this medication, and uh, they swear that it works, and that it's not dangerous, and that it's fine. So what would be the problem? Meaning it just helps you do well on a test. Meaning the argument goes, just like they always told you when you were a kid, get a good night's sleep before you take the SATs. Um, you know, if you're feeling uh, that you're not alert, sometimes having a cup of coffee will wake you up and will perk you up a little bit. So Adderall does the same thing. Why is it different than a good night's sleep or a cup of coffee? So that is... How are you? So that is the, that's the question. So what, what's the issue over here? What are the potential pitfalls of taking Adderall uh, just to do better on the test? What, are, what sort of halachic issues might be, what, what, what problems might present themselves with doing something like that? Thoughts? Let's go. What, what are the issues? First of all, just by a show of hands, mutter or asr? How many people think mutter to take the Adderall? How many people think asr? Someone who's not ADHD and who just, you know, likes what it does for him before a major exam. So, can you take the Adderall? I mean, I don't really know what it is, but I assume it's like a caffeine pill or something. So it is a... like makes you like sit? It's a... It's like a stimulant. Right. It is a prescription drug. Let's see if they they have an description. It's an ADHD stimulant strengthen the brain's brakes, its inhibitory capacities, 
so it can control its power more effectively. They do this by increasing the amount of certain neurotransmitters like dopamine and a bunch of other things I can't pronounce. And what? Say it, say it. Yeah, you, yeah. Could it be cheating? You obviously watch more medical te- television shows than I do. What? I actually am prescribed on. Oh, okay. So you actually. Okay. Is it cheating for somebody? Oh, okay, so one issue might be, is it cheating? And that's what the, the, the guy who asked me the question was really asking. Is it cheating? He doesn't want to cheat. He wants to be honest. So is it cheating to take Adderall? So that's certainly one Allah. Why would he bother it's not cheating? You're, just, you're, you're allowing yourself to be able to focus for the longest stretch of time. Do you believe that when a baseball player or a football player takes steroids that that's cheating? Yeah, but so, is Adderall written in that if you take it before an exam, that's considered cheating? Like, well, is 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 it okay to t- meaning if you were to ask the university um, if it's okay if they mind, what would they tell you? No. They would tell you why? Why would they tell you no? It's a felony. It's a felony. It's illegal. You're not allowed. To, you're not allowed to take prescription drugs. If you have, let's say, um, let's say, you know, uh, my, my sister lives in Ramat Eshkol, and she's a very wonderful, firm person. God bless her. She's fantastic. She has nine children. She, after each child, they prescribe with all sorts of painkillers, and she doesn't really take them. So she thought of this great idea. She said, "I have this great. Idea. I'm going to start a painkiller gamach." For people who need it, I'm like, you mean you're going to be a drug dealer? That's that's not okay. You know, you can't do that. That's dangerous. It's like, oh, I never thought of it that way. Yeah, that's what it is. That's dangerous and really, really not okay. You can't take. Uh, there's a reason that it requires a prescription. That these drugs require a prescription. They're addictive, and they can cause all sorts of problems. And you can read the warning labels on the problems that they can cause if not taken responsibly. So. When without the prescription of a doctor, so you're dealing with that. So what do we have? We have a cheating issue. Any other issue? Lack of emuna. Lack of emuna. Okay, that's. I, I would say that's a fifth shulchan aruch type of issue, meaning a broader issue of is this the approach you're going to take to life? To always look for a shortcut, to always look for the easy way out. Just buckle down, work hard, and do your best. And if you think that our Kodesh Baruch is not going to provide you with what you need, then you know you're lacking emuna on some level. Okay, so certainly we should discuss that. Some way may actually uh, like bring, like unknowingly bring like harm to yourself. So oh, okay. Mishmaratim One has to protect their body. One, one, and that's a very important thing. A person has to live a healthy life. You, you your body is not yours. It is Hakadosh Baruch Hu's pikadon that He asks you to watch over and to do your best to watch it carefully. So certainly, you're not supposed to do dangerous things. Okay, that's three issues so far. I counted five. I got two more over here. Um, yeah, maybe you say one more. One, one we already hinted to. If something is a felony, that means it's illegal, right? Are you allowed to do illegal things? Let's say there's no halacha against it. It's just the law of the land. It's just that the country says you're not allowed to do this. So is a Jew allowed to do it? What, what's the operative principle? You know, the Malchus Adina. We have a principle that we're supposed to follow the law of the land. So is this a violation of Dina the Malchus Adina? What are the parameters? Let's say the Dina the Malchus says that you're allowed to drive your car on Shabbos. So it does. It allows you to drive. The American law allows you to drive your car on Shabbos. So am I allowed to drive my car on Shabbos? No. So what exactly are the parameters? Right? You know the answer is no, right? So what, what exactly are the parameters of Dina the Malchus Adina? 
What, what does this cover? What doesn't it cover? Then I just thought a, a fifth potential issue worthy of discussion is addictive behavior in general. Things that are addictive, are they therefore usher because they, they uh, take away a person's bechir chavshis to a certain extent? So the five issues to discuss are, and we'll do it in this order. Number one, because of the illegality of it. Number two, that it's addictive and addictive substances might be problematic. Number three, it gives you an unfair advantage and therefore might be cheating. Number four, it's unhealthy. You have to take care of your body. And number five, just the fifth Shulchanach overall hashkafa, is this what we're supposed to be doing? So I think if we assess these five areas, then we can come to some sort of conclusion whether this is permissible to do. Okay? So let's take one by one. Let's start with any comments before? Questions, comments? No? Okay, so let's start with issue number one. Issue number one is Dimit Malchusadina, that a person is supposed to follow the law of the land. This idea of Dimit Malchusadina appears in a few places in Shas, Gitin Daf Yud, Nidarim Daf Chavches, Babasra Daf Nandalid, several, several places in Shas, all over the place, and it's always the same guy saying it. Amr Shmuel, Dina Malchusadina. Shmuel is one that, in fact, some of the Rishonim uh, try to figure out it, does anyone argue? Because every time it says it in the name of Shmuel, maybe that means that not everyone agrees to Dina Malchusadina. But be that as it may, whether people argue or don't argue, we paskin like Shmuel. We paskin that Dina de Malchusadina, that the law of the land is the law. But obviously there are going to be limitations on it. Now, to understand, because like we said, you're not allowed to drive on Shabbos just because the law, the law of the land allows you to drive on Shabbos. Right? If you get into a dispute with another Jew, you don't look for the law of the land, you go to a basin, and the basin hopefully is using the law of the Torah to, to adjudicate the dispute. So what exactly are the limitations on Dina the Malchus Adina? What can or cannot a king do, or a Malchus, a government, do in, in terms of controlling what, what we're allowed to do? So in order to answer that, we first need to understand why the law of the land should be binding. By what mechanism does some does the Congress of the United States have the authority given by God to control my behavior as a Jew? What's what's the mechanism they use? Yeah, ask me. So show them it's something in your set of courts or something. Uh, so to me the most compelling argument is the one that you just made. There, there are many different shitos as to what it is. Uh, Ravis Zal Meltzer in his Evanazel suggests exactly what you just said. Ravis Zal Meltzer suggests that amongst the Sheva Mitzvahs B'nai Noach is a requirement to set up court systems. Now, is, if they're going to have such a requirement, it's counterintuitive to say, yeah, they have to set it up, we just don't have to listen. That's, that's not fair. If they have to set it up, we have to support that setup. So if they have to promote justice, and that's one of the shepherds of the Noach, to run a society based on just values, so then we have to support their attempts to run a society based on just values, and supporting such attempts means conforming to those values and those, those laws that they make, as long as they are just. The, the expression goes, Rishon Mavi, Chazal of the expression, Dinad Malchus Dinah, if the government just robs you blind and they, they, they're unfair and they tax Jews at a higher rate than they tax non-Jews, well, that, that's not did. But as long as it's justice and they're trying their best, and of course, no government is perfect. Certainly, as much as we complain about ours, it's a lot better than Jews have historically in a lot of different places. 
we have to follow the law of the land. So that's one, one argument as to why Dina Machusadina is binding. Now, if that's the case, would drug laws be binding on us? Prescription drug laws be binding on us? Yeah, that's part of running a good society and a fair and just society is make sure that people aren't abusing drugs and people aren't you know, uh, putting themselves at risk. It's a public safety hazard. It's, uh, it's, uh, there's a lot of good reasons. There's a lot of good reasons for it. But that's not the only reason for Dina Machusadina. I, I emailed a couple of uh, friends of mine who are Rabbanim. I asked them what they thought about this in terms of Dina Machusadina. One of them immediately responded to me, I don't think it's a violation of Dina Machusadina because this has nothing to do with monetary law. And Dina Machusadina is only an issue with monetary law. Why would he say that? Yeah. So does that mean that a person doesn't have to follow the law of the land halakhically? If it's not, if it doesn't have to do with money? Uh, so he was alluding to an opinion that would limit it to monetary law, right? Which would mean that anything outside of money, the laws of the government aren't my business. I don't have to worry about that. Yeah, exactly. Now, who, who says that? Certainly the argument we just made that it's based on running a just society wouldn't limit it to monetary law. So what sort of argument would limit it to monetary law? So one argument to limit to monetary law is that... There is a concept called Hefker based in Hefker. That based in has the ability to declare your money ownerless. They have the ability to say that uh, you think your money belongs to you? By the power vested in us as based in, it now belongs to that guy. Now, what exactly the mechanics of that power are? Do they have the ability to say it belongs to that guy or just the ability to say it doesn't belong to you? And then once that guy goes and takes it, it belongs to him. Whatever the details are, Hefker based in Hefker. So there is an argument that's made that Dinah Malchus Adina is based on Hefker Beis and Hefker. That is the sheet of the Dvar Avram. And the Dvar Avram is in Chelech Aleph Simen Aleph. He quotes this from Rabbeinu Yonah, one of the Rishonim. And he says, it's, it's, it's a double chiddush. First of all, he's suggesting that Dinah Malchus Adina is limited to what Hefker Beis and Hefker would be limited to, which is money. Second of all, and maybe even the bigger Kiddush, is that, who's he calling a Beisden? He's calling the Senate and the Congress a Beisden? Well, none of those people are right to sit on a Beisden. So he's working with the understanding that a Beisden, in terms of Hefker, Beisden, Hefker, doesn't have to be a kosher Beisden, it just has to be some centralized authority that people rely on. And when you have such an authority that people rely on, they have the right to declare your money on them. Can you say the exempt can lead it to a monetary issue? Yes. That we'll get to when we discuss cheating. Absolutely. Um, a third possibility of where Dina Ramachus Dina comes from, Beis Yosef and Chosh Mishpasim Chavav discusses based on a Rashba, that the Rashba writes, you know, when the Jewish people first wanted a king, so what did they do? You remember the story from Navi. You go to Shmuel, and they say, Shmuel, we want a king. Now, Shmuel was not a king. Shmuel was a Navi, so it meant that Shmuel was going to be out of a job. Shmuel wasn't particularly pleased with them. God says to Shmuel, don't worry, Shmuel, they're not rebelling against you. They're rebelling against me. So it didn't seem like it was a proper request. Then Shmuel read them the right act. Shmuel said, do you think you guys want a king? If you have a king, he's going to be able to do all sorts of things to you that you're not going to like. He's going to draft your sons into the army, your daughters into his service. He's going to be able to take away your fields. He's going to be able to, you know, do as he pleases with your money. And you think you want a king? And he goes through this whole list of things that a king is going to do. And there is a machlokas in the Gemara Sanhedrin, kol ha'amur b'parshas melech, melech mutterbo, 
Amelech Asubah. That which it says in that section of Shmuel telling them about how scary a king is, is a king actually allowed to do all those things? Or is Shmuel just being scary? Was he just putting on a scary face? Like, ah, it's going to be terrible. But, you know, the king can't actually do that. It's like, oh, just kidding, he's really a nice guy and he doesn't do any of that stuff. So there's machlok, is whether a king can actually do it or not. If you assume Melech Mutrbo, that a king can do that, says the Rashba, that might be the basis of Dina Melchusadina. That any king, as king, or as the, the governing authority, has the ability to do as he pleases, to make laws as he pleases. So Dina Melchusadina applies to Malchus Yisrael? Ah, so very good. According to that shita, it absolutely applies to Malchus Yisrael, because it's based in Malchus Yisrael. But what are you thinking of? There's another shita of the Ran who says, no, it never applies in Eretz Yisrael. Why? That shita of the Ran, you know, it happens to be this Ran, it's a Ran in his commentary to Masech's Nadarim. There are people that don't know any Rans in all of Nadarim except for, except for this one. Because this is the Ran in Nadarim that says that you don't have to pay taxes in Israel. So there are an entire segments of Israeli society that say, oh, it's a Beferish Iran. Now, we pass in Beferish against the Iran in Shulchan Aruch, but okay, you know, you can't be bothered by the little things. So the, uh, the Iran says, the Iran's explanation is, why does Dina Malchusadina work? It's the king's land. You know, as your father told you when you were growing up, you, li- you live under my roof, you live under my rules, Right? That's so the king says, You want to live here? I'm not telling you you have to live here. You live here, you live under my rules because it's my land. Says the Ran, but that only works if it's his land. If it's not his land, then you can't make that argument. My rules, my land, my rules. Right? In Eretz Yisrael, it belongs to the whole Jewish people. There's no king that it belongs to. So, no Dina Machusadina in Eretz Yisrael. Now, Rav Shachter points out that even if we did pass him like that, Ron, you would still have to pay tax, taxes in Eretz Yisrael. Because when we, pay, when we talk about Dina Melchus Dina in terms of taxes, we're talking about a king just deciding, I'm going to tax the people because I need more money in my treasury. We're not talking about when the king makes arrangements for your garbage to be picked up, for your streets to be paved, for social services, for everything that you need to make your life livable. And he sets up an elaborate system whereby society chips in and pays for it. That's just a partnership. Just like people in a co-op chip in to pay for the lighting in the hallways and the gardening and whatever. So that's just, a, that, that just the fact that you're benefiting from it means, of course, you have to participate and you have to pay for it. Really nothing to do with Dina Melchustina, but okay, people like to read what they want to read. So that's another possibility of where Dina Melchustina comes from. But you notice any trend over here, except for the one sheet that says Hefka Beis and Hefka. It seems that almost every other sheet would say that Dina Melchustina applies beyond just Dina Melchustina. And it's not only a monetary issue. It's on, it's on all sorts of things. Drug laws included, one would, one would assume. For example, the, the uh, rush in the Sechas Nedarim. The rush in the Sechas Nedarim and the run says, you know, it's his land, he gets to make the rules, like we uh, pointed out. The Rosh Babasra says a little differently. The Rosh Babasra says, by me choosing to live there, I am accepting. It's as if I have told him that I am accepting whatever he decides. I'm accepting whatever the king decides. Similar idea, but again, it's whatever he decides. It's not just taxes. So I, I would have thought that, I, I, I would think that Dina de Malchusadina, like the Rashbun Gittin Daf says explicitly, applies to anything that helps the normal functioning and running of society. 
And I think drug laws do that. I think we could all agree that having laws that one cannot abuse these drugs helps the normal running and functioning of society. So I would think, you know, right at step one, we're already there. However, however, this isn't going to solve the Adderall and college campus problem just like that because, yeah, most people buy it for five bucks off a friend from the uh, Adderall Gamach, you know, but, but a lot of people get it prescribed. How does a Jew get a prescription when he needs a prescription? How does, I say that, but uh, how do you get a prescription? If you, you know you need a prescription for an antibiotic, you know exactly the problem is, you're not going to the doctor. So what do you do? All you have to do is go to Shul, right? <laughs> and you say to the guy next to you in Shul, behind you in Shul, in front of you in Shul, I need a script for uh, whatever. And your podiatrist, uh, you know, uh, you know, your podiatrist prescribes uh, Adderall for you, and then, yeah, because it makes sense, right? And then and there you go. <laughs> then, then, happens all the time. Happens all the time. <laughs> exactly. So then, then you have uh, you have your medicine. Is that against the law? Maybe maybe the doctor is breaking the law. But if a doctor prescribed you the medicine, he did, he didn't diagnose you as ADHD, but he's prescribed the medicine. So you're breaking the law. I'm not sure. I don't know if the doctor wrote me the script. And he took a look at me and Shul, and he said, yeah, you look like you could use a little more focus. And he gave me... So, so someone told me this past Shabbos that their, uh, when their son was in college, he went to his pediatrician, he was still going to his pediatrician, and the pediatrician said, you know, it would probably help you a lot if you had... Uh, you don't have ADHD, but it would probably help you a lot if you had Adderall. And he said, just while you're in college, and he gave him a prescription for, uh, for Adderall through college, and he took it through college, and he stopped taking it afterwards. Right? Crazy, right? But, the, but that's what happens. So is that still a violation of the Malchus Adina? I don't know. I don't know if that's, if that's against the law. You've got to ask a lawyer. But it may not be against the law anymore. So then we have to move on to the other issues. Is it cheating? Is it any, any of the other issues? New York State is actually stopping that. In order to, to get a prescription, you have to go to your doctor that they're punching into a system. Okay, computer. so maybe they'll punch into a system, but... You can't go to school anymore. Right, you can't go to Shul, but, but still, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have right. ADHD. It just, just means that your doctor's really nice. I mean, or really, whatever. Is it halakhically okay for the doctor to prescribe something that he knows he's not eligible to prescribe for? I would think that's illegal, and he's risking his license, right? right? But I, I guess they're willing to take that risk, and they don't get called out on it often enough. Um, what about little things like if it's a red light and there are no cars? Like oh, okay, so you're right. <laughs> Right, when you jaywalking is the classic question. So that's a violation of Dina Malchus Dina. You know, I was driving on the Van Wick today and the posted speed limit, I don't even know what the posted speed limit is. Normally you're crawling so far below the posted speed limit. But every once in a while, it's late at night and there's no one there and the construction vehicles are sort of on the side or something. <laughs> and you can actually go like 60 miles an hour. And you know, it's like a 50 mile an hour zone. So are you, is that a violation of Dina Malchus Dina? Mm, I don't know. So it, it would really depend on if it's, let's say the, the government makes a, a law that they, they specifically don't enforce, right? So would that be a violation of Dina Malchus Dina? They're not going to enforce the jaywalking in the middle of the night when no one's there. So Rav Willig thought that if a government doesn't enforce it, uh, then it's not a violation of Dina Malchus Dina. Now, um, he told me, you know, I asked him once about people hiring uh, housekeepers off the books. You know, these illegal immigrants, you know, let employ them. It's against the law. If you ever want to run for, a, for, for office, for a government office, and you had a housekeeper that you pay in cash, it will possibly, the, 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 it's just really, it's, it's against, but you know, I have a cousin, I have a cousin, his name is Ellie Berman, he's a really big tzaddik, and he, uh, 
he's the most honest person I know, and for years, for his entire, he's always paid his house help on the books, pays social security taxes, only legal, he actually knows their last name, you know, like, crazy, right? And, he, and, and, uh, and, and when he made a bar mitzvah for his second son, for Aryeh, he, uh, he got up and he said, you know, I've been audited by the IRS twice. Because who pays on the book? So he said, I was audited twice. So he announced at the bar mitzvah, he said, I, I told the last auditor that, look, you're not going to find anything here. I do everything legally. But if you want to find 250 people who all pay off the books, I'm making a bar mitzvah next week. You can just pick them all out of the crowd. And, just, so, and, and he's right. So Rabbi Willard thought that that was, that that was mutter, to pay off the books. Why? Because the government doesn't enforce it, and they purposely don't enforce it. Because what are they going to do with all, all these... Until Donald Trump is elected and builds his wall and throws everyone out, <laughs> right? we, 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 there's nothing to do with all these people. So they need something. They, they need to eat, so they have to have something to do with them. So, so they, they, it's sort of like a wink-wink kind of situation where they're like, yeah, just hire them, pick up. They know where to find all the Mexican immigrants on the, uh, by, by Inwood train station when you need uh, work done on your roof. You know, your experienced roofers that you hire is like one foreman and... Ten guys that they picked up at the train station that they just met that morning. Now, they, they want that situation because it's the only way to keep them doing something productive. So, okay, that, that's an argument one might argue against that, but okay, but that, that, that at least would put it in a different category. But, but drug use, one would think is a violation of the Indomalchusadina. If you have a prescription, maybe not. Now, Rav Moshe, in a Chuvin Yardeh, just moving on to the next issue within this question, Rav Moshe was asked about smoking marijuana. And it's, it's interesting that that's what I'm using as a model for this, because in the CNN piece, they, the, the, when you watch the video of the piece that they did on Adderall on college campuses, the, the byline was Adderall, this generation's marijuana, question mark. Meaning it used to be that on college campuses everyone would smoke weed and that was just like something that they did and you know and it was uh, was not viewed as particularly harmful or whatever and maybe this generation it's Adderall that they're that they're doing that they don't view as particularly harmful. So Rav Moshe in that tshuva was asked, are you allowed to smoke marijuana? Is there anything wrong with it? So Rav Moshe said, it's hard to find a halacha, an explicit halacha in the Torah or in Chazal, that talks about addictive behavior. Things that lead a person down a path where you're not headed in the right direction. Right? Most of the time, the kid in school who's smoking pot is not doing mitzvahs and mice and tovim otherwise. Right? Most of the time, he's not headed in the right direction, and it leads you down a path where it's a gateway to other drugs and other things and other behaviors that are certainly not desirable behaviors. And he said, the best approximation he could think of is ben Mora which is pretty harsh, but what's, what's been sort of more all about? You have a kid who starts exhibiting nothing terrible yet, nothing terrible, he's stealing a little bit, he's not, he's not killing anyone yet, he's not, but he starts exhibiting behaviors that are going to lead him toward a lifestyle that ultimately is going to spiral out of control. And Rav Moshe thinks that part of that is that the Das HaTorah is that one should not engage in any such behaviors that typically lead a person out of control. One might suggest that misuse of drugs of any kind, especially addictive drugs, and Adderall is more addictive than marijuana, 
um, would lead, I think, I, I'm not a doctor, but I, I think, would lead a person to down that path. It might be a violation of exactly. Ramosh also talks about keep it up, aim, you know, like what are your parents going to think if you're smoking pot? But the other all your parents would say, okay, as long as you do well in school, you know, so, uh, so maybe it's not a keep it up, aim issue as much. But I think the, the addictive nature of it, um, the textbooks say that a relapse happens meaning a person thinks he's got himself off of it and for the rest of his life he'll be fine one time, one pressurized situation at work he could be, the addiction comes right back it's not like, okay it was just I slipped once but that's the way addiction works you slip once, you're all the way back to where you started you're all the way back in that's, that's often the way these things, these things work third issue, cheating is it cheating to take an illegal drug any different than a cup of coffee or a nap before an exam? What about a tutor? Or a tutor before an exam? And it gets you, you know, gives you an advantage, right? That, give, that, makes, that makes you ready. Adderall doesn't make you smarter. It just gives you the ability to focus. It's not, you're not looking at your friend's paper. So is it, is it cheating? Now, if everybody is working with the assumption that you're working within the law, then I think, of course, that would be cheating. If it gets to the point where it's understood that this is what people do, and the university looks the other way and doesn't care, and no one really, and that's just the culture of what society does, which I'm not sure if it's really at that point. You never know with these news stories how much they're trying to make a good story out of it, and how much of these statistics are real. You know, most of these that are like informal questioning of students on college campus or whatever, or asking people, what do you think? Oh, in one student's estimate, 80% of their university takes Adderall before an exam. Yeah, in one student's estimate, that just means that he takes it, so he thinks the whole world does it. That's just the way people think. Oh, if I do it, then it must be the whole world. Ask, ask high school kids whether the issue of texting, what percentage of kids in, in, high, in high school, in the modern Orthodox high school, text on Shabbos? If you're speaking to a kid who texts on Shabbos, he'll say like, 80%. If you're speaking to a kid who doesn't, they'll be like, I don't know, like 5%, 2%. Like the, the numbers are that are that different in terms of the, 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 because everyone assumes that everyone else is like them. That's the natural assumption that people, so these numbers aren't really that reliable. I don't know yet that it's an assumption that everyone just takes Adderall. And we're, we're assuming that people are, people are assuming you're, you're, you're going to get a good night's sleep before an exam, you'll try to do that, and that's all within the confines of the rules. They're not assuming you're going to look at someone else's paper. They're not assuming you can take Adderall. Now, when you've achieved something through cheating, you have serious shyness to ask. Because very often, who mentioned it before, someone said when you're cheating, it could, it could lead to monetary problems, right? So if you, for example, if uh, someone cheats on their LSAT, so uh, they get into Harvard Law School. Someone else didn't get into Harvard Law School because of that. And that someone else lost out not only on their spot in school, but probably an opportunity to have a very good job after law school. If, if even worse, you, you go on a job interview and you cheat on an exam and your 4.0 GPA looks great for the job. So you're taking money that was going to belong to someone else and money from the company that they don't want to be giving you. They want to be giving to a qualified candidate. Oh, but really, I'm really smart. You know, I, 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 I cheated because it was uh, easier, but I'm really smart. I, I really am qualified. That's not your call to make. That's their call to make with everything being fair and everything being even. Everyone thinks they're really smart. It's like 80% of people rate themselves as above average drivers. It's a statistical impossibility. 
right? 80% of people can't be above average drivers. Everyone thinks they're, they're really smart. Mountains of evidence. 15 years of C's and D's, and they still think they're above average in terms of intelligence. That's fine. You can think that about yourself. You just can't cheat to, you know, to, to prove that assertion. I once got a shayla. A kid called me from uh, Israel, and he, was, uh, he, had, he had gotten a major scholarship to Yeshiva University. And um, he, he, part of that major scholarship was because he did extraordinarily well in his SATs. And he was feeling very guilty because he cheated on his SATs. And the guy sitting next to him did extraordinarily well also. So the guy sitting next to him earned the, earned the grade. And he was, he's like, what do I do now? And it's a real shayla. Because scholarship money isn't free. That's costing someone else scholarship money. So it's a real issue. It's not a simple issue. So cheating is not something to be, to be taken lightly. It's also, Rabbi Kamenetsky always likes to say, it's a chisar and emuna to cheat. I, I happen to disagree with the way he formulates it. He's been giving the same speech for, for 17 years before finals. He says that if you're cheating on an exam, it means you don't believe in God. Because if you think that God is going to let you get one extra benefit, get ahead in the world even a little bit because of your cheating, you're wrong. God would never do that. So I, I disagree with that formulation um, because, first of all, I think people could believe in God and still have Yetzirah to do Averos, right? You could have Amunah and still speak Lashon Hara once in a while because you just have Yetzirah for it. And, and the second part of the formulation, I, I do believe that if you cheat, God will allow you sometimes to get into a better school and to get a better job. And to, I just think you're going to pay for it in Gehenna, meaning God tends to even things out, you know, in the next world. So it's not that it's not going to happen. You might. You might get ahead. You might enjoy 10, 20 years of success running your Ponzi scheme and enjoying uh, summers in the Hamptons and uh, great times on your yacht until you get caught and you're in jail and then they find you hanging from it. You know, so I, I, that, that might happen. You might get ahead for some time and it might even last your entire life. But, but ultimately, as a believing person, and this is the part I certainly strongly agree with Rabbi Kamenetsky about, as a believing person, ultimately you're not getting ahead in the long run. Long run meaning olamazeh and olamaba. Fourth issue. Pashat in the Pasuk is... By the way, this is supposed to be a shir on halacha related to the parsha. It is. <laughs> Why? Because we have tam tia im Hashem this week's parsha, that a person is supposed to have simple faith and not look for kunsin, and not look for shortcuts, and not look... So, okay, so we're good. We're, we're, we're on the par- I can't promise every week it's going to actually be on the parsha, but this week it's actually uh, related to the parsha. A, a, a fourth fourth issue, um, guarding your health. The Pashupshat in that pasuk is actually about avodazara. It's not really about guarding your health. It's about guarding your neshama from the ill effects of avodazara. But the Ramam quotes it with regard to guarding your health. So one has an obligation, and there's no doubt that one has an obligation to guard, guard his health. Um, Rav Zevin has an article in Lara Halacha if you're allowed to sell parts of your body. And he says, no, it's not yours. It's God's. You can't sell something that doesn't belong to you. We can't make decisions to fundamentally alter our bodies or our brains. And Rav Zevin entrusted us with them to take care of them. Um, of Salvation explained, to mean that it's stealing to misuse our talents. And when one takes these kinds of medications, 
unprescribed, what these medications do is they increase your focus, but to the extent that your concentration is increased, your creativity is decreased. Right? Do you ever wonder why it is that artistic people, people who are uh, painters and musicians and you know the like, are are tend to be free spirits? They tend not to be you know buttoned up types. Because that way of thinking, those who are creative and those who are those who work with that tend to not have that focus. To the extent that this part of the brain is, is, is highly emphasized and functioning very highly, the other part of the brain is not. And that's what Adderall does. It sort of shifts. It takes a person's creativity and all those things that are valued in the world but not in school, you know? And it, and, and, and it, and it turns them into, and turns you into a student. But it takes away a lot of that creativity. So that could be fundamentally altering our talents. And that's not okay. In fact, from more halachic, you know, point, the Gemara Baba Kama derives from the Pasuk Verapoi Rapei, Mikan Mitin Roshos Lerofe Lerapos. What does that mean? Have you heard that phrase? Mitin Roshos Lerofe Lerapos. God gives permission to a doctor to heal. Permission? You would think it's a mitzvah. The Ramban goes so far as to say, yeah, the doctor is allowed to heal. You're not allowed to go seek his help. But okay, we don't pass that one. We go seek a doctor's help. But, says Rav Moshe Nechuvah, that permission is granted when you are healing sick people. But the permission is not granted to take Refua measures unhealthy people. There is no rishos to take refua measures on a healthy person. So Moshe said, I was actually asked the shaila. Are the eight forty or eight forty five? Eight forty five. Oh, okay. So the the I was asked the shaila. Someone, this doctor in my shul, came up with a great business idea. Tishvav, Yom Kippur. People hate fasting, so he was going to set up an IV set, an IV center where he come, he hooks you up with an IV. And you're you're plenty hydrated and you feel great and you can fast fine. Charge a few bucks, charge fifty bucks. Everyone's going to pay it and he's going to make good money. Turns out there was a New York Times article a couple of years ago in I think the uh, one of the Hasidic sects in uh, in Williamsburg or in Borough Park had the whole basement of the basement it was like a makeshift hospital where they were giving people IV. But there it was only for the elderly, the ill, the infirm. But they, great idea, right? Rav Moshe has a truth about this. Rav Moshe writes, but that's only for people who are ill. You're not allowed to give refuah to people who aren't ill. It's an iser to give refuah to people who are not ill. So I would think taking this medication uh, when you're not ill and you just want to be able to do a little better on an exam, I would think that that's a violation. And then, of course, there's the hashkafic issue. Rav Shechter discussed this once, and he pointed out that you know, we're supposed to imitate the ways of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The Gemara tells us we're supposed to connect to the ways of Hashem. How does one do that? Well, one of the most fundamental things, the first thing we learn about Hashem in Voracious is that He is a creator, that He is created. And one should use the full, uh, His full creativity that God has granted him to be able to be creative in life and to be able to accomplish things in a creative manner. To the extent that a person takes something that inhibits that creativity, even if it's enhancing his concentration, no, I was asked a shaila by Yeshiva Bachu once. He wanted to know, can, should, should he be taking Adderall, even though he's not ADHD, because he'll be able to learn 14, 15 hours a day if, he, if he's on Adderall. He'll be able to, so, so learning Hashem's Torah. It's going to help me. 
Sort of Shakti points out, that's not the way we're supposed to we're supposed to view things. We're supposed to take what Hashem gave us and do our best with what Hashem gave us. He said a beautiful part from the uh, from from the Saba Kadisha. The Saba Kadisha was an old Sephardic Jew, holy Jew apparently. Saba because he was old and Kadisha because he was holy. He was a contemporary of uh, Rav Kook. And the Saba Kadisha said, you know, So what does, what does it mean? Hashem gives Shelek snow. Katsamer like wool, right? Why snow like wool? So, Pashup Shad, wool is white, snow is white. Sabakadisha said, no. Hashem will only give as much snow as warm clothing that you have to protect yourself from it. Kharash Baruch gives Shalak Katsamer only as much as he's given you wool to protect yourself from it. Kharash Baruch doesn't give us Nisyanos that we're not capable of passing in Roshakhtar often, like say, and if he does, then we're Pater anyway because we're a Shota. That's the definition of Shota. So we're part from such mitzvahs that we can't uh, that we can't pass from nisyonos that we're not able to pass. But we have nisyonos in life, and pressures tend to be uh, overwhelming at times. But that's where bitachon has to come in, not the next quick fix, the next way I can figure out how to uh, get around it or how to avoid what what I'm really capable of. So I, I would think, and I, this I, you'd be surprised as talking with people how much pushback I've gotten about this. And everyone does it. It's like, it's just something that's out there. I would think that it's really, really inappropriate and perhaps halakhically problematic. So just to quickly review, a person who doesn't have ADHD wants to take Adderall to do better on an exam. Dibin Malchusadina, taking an illegal drug is, I think, according to almost all of shown in the violation of Dibin Malchusadina, unless you hold that it's based on Hafka, Bezin Hafka. Second, addictive substances in general, Moshe writes, and so remote. That's certainly not someone we want to join with. Third, it's cheating, because it gives you an unfair advantage. Fourth, it's unsafe, unhealthy, and one, one's body does not belong to oneself, it belongs to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and therefore we have to be very careful with how we use our body. And generally, Hashkafa, we're supposed to have a basic sense of emuna that uh, you know, not everyone is entitled to go to Harvard Law School. It's okay. And we're supposed to trust that HaKadosh Baruch Hu will take care of us when we, when we do the right thing and when we live the life the way HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants us to.